me a mission, I got demons to slay. Communication made you talk in this way. Anxious world, what's going on, my good friends? I thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Anxiety About Anxiety podcast. I hope everybody had an awesome, awesome Christmas. I know I did. Uh, I'm broke now. Spent a lot of money on these expensive gifts. But, you know, my kids, you know, it's priceless, it's, you know, to see the smiles on their faces. So it was all worth it. Got through our little uh, quote unquote blizzard, which was very, very bad. I didn't leave the house for four days except for to go to work or try to make it to work. But, you know, I'm blessed. You know, everybody made it through. So, you know, on to on to a new year. God willing. But, uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. So on this episode, switching it up just a little bit, not too far off topic at all. But uh, I got a a therapist coming in by the name of Kate Hudson Hall. She's a returning guest. Um, About about a year ago, uh, she dropped uh, I dropped the episode with her uh, called Bulimia Sucks. And, you know, she talked about her battle with bulimia. And it was it's a great episode. I encourage you all you guys to go out there and listen to it. But on this episode, I just, you know, I reached back out to her. You know, I just I wanted to see. I, I actually, I got a couple people coming on like this. I just wanted to, to give some good vibes out there, get a couple of uh, mental health specialists or professionals to come on and give their point of view on, you know, uh, mental health in the world these days, you know, and how to overcome it and um, what motivated them to get into the mental health um, profession. Um, you know, why, why did they become a therapist or why or in her case a therapist a eating disorder order uh therapist amongst other things and i just wanted to see why they did it um kind of have them come on and talk about three or four different approaches to mental health uh ways that we could uh know notice what we're going through um ways to go get help and uh just get some very helpful advice from you know the people out there that uh, that study this for a living. And Kate is one of those individuals. So, yeah, I just wanted to pick her mind and uh, let her share her story a little bit on what motivated her to be uh, a therapist. And, yeah, so you're going to get that for the next couple weeks, uh, starting off with Kate. Kate, thank you for being a returning guest. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, taking your time out, your busy schedule, just to, you know, help the people on the podcast out. So anxious world, I hope everybody out there is being safe, taking care of their mental health, most of all, and uh, just enjoying this time of the year, you know, being with family and just being around your loved ones. So, you know, that could be very, very good for our mental health, you know, so continue to uh, seek that help if you need it. Continue to uh, believe in yourself and move forward. I know I will. So let's jump into this episode with Kate Hudson Hall. Ooh, my voice just went up an octave. Ooh. Sorry, you guys, that COVID still got that little COVID voice, the cough and everything. And it's kind of weird. But anyways, let's jump into this episode, everybody. Stay safe. Stay blessed. I'll be back again next week. Hello, my name is Kate Hudson Hall, and I am a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist. I practice NLP, which is neurolinguistic programming and another type of therapy called EFT, which is the tapping therapy, so emotional freedom technique. 
So I do many different therapies all under one umbrella. I am also a podcaster of two podcasts, one called Bulimia Sucks, it's for people with eating disorders, and then also one called Anxiety Hacks, which is for people with anxiety. And I'm also an author of a number of different books. My two main books are also called Anxiety Hacks and Bulimia Sucks. The reason why I became a psychotherapist, oh gosh. So I was, um, I first of all started off with anxiety from the age of five and I've gradually had it throughout my whole life really. Um, And also um, when I was nine, I was sexually abused. And then when I was 17, 18, I developed the eating disorder, bulimia. And one of the reasons why I developed it was because of the abuse, because I never spoke to anybody about that until I was in my 30s. So I held on to that, that deep, dark secret. And as I said, I had anxiety from the age of five, um, separation anxiety from my mother because my father died when I was two. So it was like a mother and a father rolled into one. And just going to school was so traumatic for me when I was five. And then when I was 11, I was sent away to boarding school and that also was very traumatic for me being separated from her and I would cry every night for the first I don't know three weeks and then I'd have a week reprieve and then I would see her again so then the cycle would start again Um, and that would that went on for four years anyway so I developed an eating this eating disorder bulimia and I had it very severely to the point where I I I just thought I was going mad. I had no idea what was going on with me. And because it was a long time ago, it was in the 1980s, I, um, there wasn't many books out there. And I remember I did get one book, but there was no help. You know, it was an academic book and I couldn't understand it. And it wasn't until Princess Diana came out and she started to, you know, explain and talk about her, her experience with bulimia that then people sort of like sat up and started to take note and talk about it more and then I eventually after 14 13 14 years I eventually I went to the doctor and I um, was sent to a psychiatrist and then I was sent to a counsellor and over that period of maybe a year I saw a number of different counsellors until I eventually found that right therapist. Somebody who had walked in my shoes and had an eating disorder and she was fantastic and I stayed with her for four years. And when I was seeing her, my mother developed cancer and she had cancer for two years and then she suddenly died. And I remember after sort of coming out the other side years later and 
having worked through my eating disorder and my grief, I remember thinking, my gosh, if I hadn't have been seeing that therapist, I truly believe I wouldn't be here today. That's how much she helped me. So then I decided that I wanted to be able to help other people how I'd been helped. So that's why I trained to become a therapist. And I have been practicing for, ooh, for over 22 years now. So I've worked with many, many different people with lots of different issues. And I specialize in eating disorders and people with anxiety, hence why I wrote the books. And my new book, Anxiety Hacks, has recently been launched. And the book is packed full of many, many, many different ways that you can start to address your difficult behaviours connected with anxiety. And the reason that it there are so many in there is because we're all different. And I wanted to um, be able to give the tools and the techniques to people so they can start to begin to firstly be aware because awareness is the first step of that behaviour and then have, to have, have different ways to be able to work through their anxiety. So what are the most common mental health problems our society is facing in this day and age? Oof. Well, let's look at the key facts. The key facts from the World Health Organization. So one in every eight person in the world lives with a mental disorder. A mental disorders involve significant disturbances in thinking, emotional regulation, or in behaviours. And there are so many different types of um, mental health problems. But some of the most common ones are depression, um, or bipolar, and eating disorders, and then there's anxiety, so generalised anxiety disorder, um, panic disorder, OCD, so the obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. But there are so many more um, mental health disorders. So it's, it's, there's just not enough help out there at the moment, unfortunately. But I think one of the, one of the difficulties at the moment is, is people's, particularly people's mental health issues are, are becoming more intense because of the cost of living crisis and the, the cost of fuel prices going up, the cost of everything going up. I'm sure that we can all understand and relate to that. And in the UK, um, there was new data from the National Health Service. This was in September 2022. And the figures show a rise in number of people accessing talking therapies. There was a 21.5% rise in people reaching out for help, which is good, but it also shows that um, we're, I think after COVID, we're really having even more of a difficult time for some 
because of all these other external um, problems that have, have come forward. So can we prevent mental health problems? Well, I think that's a very good question because it's difficult because you can't really prevent getting a mental health problem. But being more aware of your living situations and where you are and how you're thinking is going to help you to begin to um, understand yourself more. But there are various factors that can increase your risk of developing a mental health problem. But it's important to note that none of them means you'll definitely experience a mental health issue. And there isn't any way of predicting which factors will or maybe won't affect your well-being. So our mental health is, is shaped by our, well, so by our biology, maybe our genes play a role in, in mental health, whether you have a mental health problem or not. It could be your environment, maybe the place where you live or you work, or maybe other relationships that you have. But then also it could be past experiences, things that have happened to you, but particularly, you know, especially earlier in life. For me, you know, I do believe that one of the reasons I developed bulimia was because of that past experience of being sexually abused when I was nine. And like I said, I never, never actually spoke about it until I was going through therapy. So I had held on to it for all those years and all of those difficult feelings and thoughts, they were sort of locked down in there. But then they had to come out somehow and the, the way that they, you know, sort of decided to materialize was by me coping by developing this difficult eating disorder. So if you are at a higher risk, it's even more important that you take care of yourself and you start to really begin to tune into those thoughts and feelings and you know, and if need be, you know, reaching out for a counselor to overcome some issues, maybe from a a difficult experience you had when you were young, finding support so you can have that um, that support to be able to help to guide you through the difficult past experiences maybe that, that you've had. So I would suggest the very first port of call if you are having difficulty is to reach out to your doctor or to find a, a counsellor, a therapist. So you can begin to work through, through your, you know, your difficult maybe behaviours. If you're maybe unsure whether you have a mental health problem or not, maybe it's so you feel that you know your work is, um, maybe you're not work hasn't been going so well for you, or some sort of relationship, or your academic life. So it's really about checking in with yourself. And maybe if you find you have low energy or concentration, maybe that would be a time to sort of like start to really pay attention. Um, and other areas would be if you find that you're not maintaining personal or family relationships or if there's, you know, if you feel that you're having many difficulties there. Or if you're struggling in social situations or if, 
Yeah, so if you're at work or school and your performance is not so good. So it's really about, you know, looking and turning inward and starting to address and think about, well, maybe you could ask yourself, so where would I be on a scale from zero to 10 if 10 was when I was really happy and zero was when I was really unhappy? See where you are on that scale. See if, you know, that will help you to be able to tune in and it's usually the first answer that comes up is the correct answer and then you can sort of think about okay well what's stopping me from maybe being you know say you if you're maybe at a four what's stopping you from being a five and then starting to think well maybe I need to get a bit of help to be able to get me to a five I need to be able to figure this out with some you know external help like a counselor or a psychotherapist but if you are generally feeling overwhelmed with everything or overthinking and feeling as though maybe your mind is so busy and it's difficult for you to switch off from your thoughts or just generally feeling low, maybe feeling more tearful, maybe getting angry when you don't normally get angry in certain situations. Maybe the anger's flaring up. Um, or maybe you're struggling to regulate your difficult feelings and emotions. So maybe that would be a time for you to then, you know, look into finding that counsellor. So some good positive steps um, to improve your well-being. Let's have a think about that. So um, reducing stress from your life. I mean, that is a real key to be able to, ooh, to um, first of all, figure out what is causing you stress in your life and then start to eliminate it, start to gradually begin to be aware of it and then to work with that, to reduce it. And then, you know, working towards finding time for you to relax. They would be excellent, excellent ways to be able to um, bring you into a much better place. Um, maybe for some it might be finding ways to learn and be creative. Or for others it might be, you know, taking yourself out to, for a, a beautiful walk in the woods or somewhere in nature that you feel that you can sort of recharge your batteries. For others it may be connecting Connecting with friends, maybe they haven't seen for a while, or loved ones. Um, and then for others, you know, it's looking and seeing how much you're, um, how much exercise you're having, how much you're moving your body. And maybe you need to get out and need to start to do just a little bit of exercise. And it's important that you find that right exercise that you enjoy doing. Because if you don't enjoy going to the gym, and you say, right, okay, it's a new year and I'm going to go and start going to the gym three times a week. Well, you're not going to carry it on because you don't enjoy it. So it's so important to be able to find that specific exercise that you enjoy, even if it's taking yourself out for a little walk, even 10, 15 minutes a day or once a week. Start with once a week and then you can build up from there. Um, and then also getting enough sleep. Now, sleep can be very difficult for many, many people. And I teach mindfulness 
So for people that don't know what mindfulness is, it's the awareness that arises by paying attention on purpose in the present moment and not being judgmental that your mind will wander away and you'll start to think about something. It's being aware that it's done that, not giving yourself a hard time and bringing yourself all the way back to the present moment. And by learning and practicing mindfulness, there are just so many benefits. And one of the huge benefits I have found and all the people that I teach mindfulness to, and it's been years and years I've been teaching it, that mindfulness really helps people to be able to sleep because it's the thoughts that are keeping you awake. So if you have a tool to be able to switch off those thoughts, you'll fall asleep. It's incredible. Mindfulness is so simple, but it's like pressing the pause button of your busy mind because we have 60,000, approximately 60,000 different thoughts that go through our head every day, which is unbelievable. Some are in the background, some are unconscious, some are floating back and forth or whizzing around all over the place. So, and it's really important that we start to tune into those thoughts. We don't need to have a lot of the thoughts we have. And the studies show that out of those 60,000 thoughts that we have every day, 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts that we had the day before, the day before that, the day before that, and so on. So we're thinking the same thing every day, most, most of the things. So we need to consciously make that decision that we are going to begin to change. And for people in general, 75% of those thoughts that we have every day are negative thoughts because that's how we were designed to keep us safe from that saber-toothed tiger thousand millions of years ago. So for somebody that has, say, has um, depression, for example, you know, they've already, you know, they've already got these negative thoughts going on in their head and then you know, there's such a build-up of further negative thoughts from that 75% of negative thoughts that we have every day. So it's so important that we start to be aware. And mindfulness can help you to do that. And it's so easy, it's so simple, and it's so powerful. And there have been many, many different um, studies and different research that's been done how powerful mindfulness is and how beneficial it is and there are many of the same study but done by scientists and researchers and professors and what they've done is they take a group of people and they do MRI scans on their brain and then they teach them a nine, eight week nine mindfulness course and then they will do another MRI scan on their brains and now what they have found is that there are physical changes in the brain by practicing mindfulness. So the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is, uh, controls the anxious state, the fight or flight state, that part of the brain had become smaller, had shrunk. And then the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that's your everyday calm, 
you that controls your concentration, etc. That part of the brain had become thicker and the connection between the two had shrunk. So they have actually found, and this, is, this study has been done numerous times, and so they found these phys physical changes in the brain when people practice mindfulness. And it's so easy. So you can, you can practice mindfulness walking, you can practice mindfulness while you're driving, you can do formal mindfulness, which is actually sitting down and listening to a, um, a specific mindfulness recording for 15 minutes each day. Or you can practice the informal, which is um, you could practice mindfulness, say, when you're cooking or when you're um, ironing, if you iron. <laughs> I try to avoid it at all costs. But it's so easy to practice and it's so beneficial. So check that out. In my book, Ang Anxiety Hacks, which is now on Amazon, you can find the steps within the book of how to practice mindfulness. And with the book comes a companion course, which has, um, which is a free course, which comes, it has videos of me showing you how to do various techniques in the book. And um, there's a downloadable tables and other information in the course as well. So check out my book, Anxiety Hacks on Amazon. So if you are thinking about looking for a counsellor or what sort of therapy, you know, you may benefit from. So the therapies that have the highest rate of success are talking therapies and they include cognitive behavioural therapy. So it's also known as CBT, which is great to be able to get people to focus um, and recognize and change patterns of negative thinking and behaving that lead to the distorted and troubling views of the world and the and maybe of themselves and then there is also interpersonal therapy and it helps people to recognize and reframe unhealthy personal relationships that cause and feed into depression and another type of therapy is psychodynamic therapy. And this helps, helps people to resolve internal psychological conflicts, which are often based around childhood trauma. But it's also um, working with um, how you want to be in the future and what are your steps of how you're going to get there. So for me, I had my mental health disorder for 15 years plus, was the eating disorder, bulimia, as I mentioned earlier. But then, like I said, I've had anxiety from the age of five on and off, the separation anxiety, and then intertwined in an eating disorder is deep, dark, rooted anxiety. And I'm not saying I don't get anxiety now, because since COVID, sometimes it does kind of start to slither in. But now I have the tools to be able to 
to be able to um, deal with that and be able to free myself from the anxiety. And these are the tools that I teach my clients because I work with many different people's issues. And they, and many of the tools that I work with my clients and I have done over the last 22 years are all within my book, Anxiety Hacks. And there are many other different tools that I have in the book. I talk about affirmations, and affirmation is a short, simple phrase that you would repeat to yourself to get your mind focused on where you want to be in the future. I also teach EFT, the Emotional Freedom Technique, the tapping therapy, which is fantastic to be able to reduce down those difficult thoughts or feelings that you have. And then, of course, because it's a book about anxiety, I talk about the breathing, breathing and I teach um, the specific way that you need to um, gain the most from breathing correctly. And there are also acupressure points to help to relieve anxiety. And then there are, well, there's 15 different techniques in there to be able to help, plus so much other information. So like I said, if you are interested, check out my book, Anxiety Hacks, on Amazon.